This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Prospects 101, brought to you by Blue Wire Pods and Bet Online. This is the show where we discuss and analyze football prospects on all levels beyond the industry standard. High school, college, and the NFL draft. You name it, we cover it. You can follow and interact with us on all social media accounts at Prospects101Pod. I'm Kenny Keller, and today we have a special show for you. I'm joined by Jack Borowski from Inside the NFL Prospects Podcast. What's up, Jack? I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. Thanks for taking the time to, to hop on the show with us. For those of you who don't know, Inside the NFL Prospects is a, is a great podcast that's dedicated to interviewing prospects really in co- all across college football, any level, small school, big school, FCS, FBS, you name it, they cover it. Jack, why don't you uh, fill us in a little bit about your background and what you and Brian are doing over there at Inside the NFL Prospects. Yeah, so Kenny, I got my first start in podcasting when I thought of the idea. So I went to a summer program after my sophomore year of high school and realized I wanted to know a lot more about the different positions that were involved in sports. Like, what does it take to be a GM, scout, agent? I felt there wasn't enough information. So I started a podcast called Inside the Gridiron where I interviewed agents, scouts, people, and the personnel side, and enjoyed it a lot, and then turned that into interviewing NFL players as well. Had Marshawn Lynch on, Terry McLaurin, a lot of talented players, but the thing was, my passion has always been evaluating, scouting college football players, so I decided, you know what, I want to try and get into college football in any way possible. I just didn't have the connections or way to do it, and then... Like you said, my partner Brian, we met at a friend's house like last July and he brought up, hey, I love college football too. And he had a little bit of traction on Instagram with doing things. He handles a lot of our social media and does a great job of it. And he decided, hey, you want to start a podcast? And I said, that would be awesome. So we started one. I was like, you know what? This is going to be like a mini series. We could maybe do five episodes by the end of the summer and that would be a great podcast. It'll be fun going into the season. And since then, we're up to 185. So we, we've kind of uh, broken what we expected we would do. And it's been a really fun and long journey of I get to do what I love most, evaluate guys, find certain players that I think are a little bit mm-hmm. under the radar in comparison to where everyone else has them, get them on. But like you said, also some top schools. So we'll get the Alabama, and then we'll get the Kyle Duggar at Lenore Ryan. So we got a mix of everything. And it's, it's a really fun process, I think especially this being our first year. Coming from the start of the college football season in late mm-hmm. August to then seeing the progression of certain players who we got on thinking we they would be first-round picks and then they fell to the fourth round. Or guys who we thought, you know, let's, let's get him on. He could be a fringe draft pick. And then he ends up going in the second. So it's, it was a really fun process, and I'm glad we, we've been able to continue to do it, and we're closing in on our 200th episode. 
That's fantastic. 200 episodes. That's a huge milestone, man. Congrats to you guys. What what would you say has been the biggest, I guess, eye-opening experience with evaluation and interviewing these prospects? What's been kind of the, the biggest surprise to you? I think the amount that you can tell from interacting. So one of the main things, and so I've been going to the combine the past few years in the senior bowl last year. And every time I talk to evaluators, they say, you know what? Everyone can play football who's here. Everyone at the combine and senior bowl, obviously there's, there's, there aren't too many Chase Youngs, but everyone here can play football. What separates guys is character. Can they make that jump? Because everyone is great at the high school level. Everyone, then you have to fight to make it in college, but you still have guys who are just more athletic. Once you get to the NFL level, everyone's on the same playing field. And character, hard work, maturity separates guys. And I could tell a lot with guys because I'm interacting on social media, through texting, coordinating to get them on the podcast, and then interviewing them, asking them questions, talking to them post-production, and just interacting throughout the entire season and you can tell in my opinion on film in certain ways all right this guy is smart i could tell it in the interview and i see it what he does on this play where he does x or y so that was one of the most eye-opening things because the evaluators talk about it a lot character maturity and you could tell who has it and who doesn't on film and then when you get to interview them you get to really see all right this guy is going to make it or not. And some guys just, they're a little different in that, like, there's this level to them that you see, and you're like, they're just going to make it. They have that it factor that other guys don't have, and you can tell that through interacting with them. Yeah, you know, very similar. We had a lot of interactions. We used to cover the XFL before we transitioned to college football, and and that was a big thing I noticed, too, was talking with different players. And again, yeah, how they interacted with you and, and the level of seriousness that they brought to their – and professionalism that they brought to their interviews. Like, wow, you can kind of see why they've translated to being one of the higher, you know, producing XFL players just and, and, and why they weren't just a, your average run-of-the-mill player. So that's pretty cool. Uh, it, it seems to be standard across the board. So when you guys are kind of going through your process to interview a player uh, or a prospect, you know, do you – do you have a process or is it just like, hey, this prospect caught my eye on film the other day. Let's reach out to him and see if we can get him on the show. Or do you have or do you have a certain list that you want to go that you checklist that you go through? Uh, when getting a player on, it, it's interesting. We tend to look for. So when we were first starting out, it was anyone who was willing to come on because we had we had no traction. No one was like, why would this top tier player in college football want to be on these high school kids podcasts when they haven't had anyone? And at this point. I look for tend to be, all right, who have we had on their team that has been established and a really good player? And then try and scout certain players on that team. Because when you have the backing, say, hey, I got your teammate who was your captain last year, was drafted in the third round, is a really good player. I want you on as well. They're like, yeah, that, that would be awesome. It's, it would be like almost an honor to like, because he was on it and, I value his opinion and what he's done to such a high degree, so I'd want to be on too. So that's something I do look for. In general, it's just, hey, though, this guy caught my eye. I want to reach out to him. And sometimes it's through people I know within the scouting community that have given me, hey, this guy's a lot better than people think. You should get him on the podcast. And they usually that's their job. They're usually right, so that helps out a lot. And uh, it's just one of those things where it isn't like, all right, we have this certain checklist because there isn't a position prospect round that we're not willing to touch. We want to get the best players in college football who we think can translate to the NFL. I don't care where this site has him ranked or what this draft analyst is saying about him. If his film is good, I want him on the podcast. If I think he has a chance to be drafted or be an impact player at the next level, he is on our list. It's not, hey, we're only looking for top 100 players because, as you know, and through this entire process, guys who are in the top 100 now, we see them fall, and guys who aren't, they rise a lot. So that's something we're not sticking with one position group, one anything. We're looking anyone. Like last week, I had a kid from Lake Erie College on my podcast who nice. he had 13 sacks last year. Justin Growl, I think he's going to be the one of the top few. Um, Division two players coming out next year, and he like we got him on, and then two days later we got a kid at Texas on. So 
you, you get a mix of everyone and we're trying to bring a lot of variety so we have the top guys but then we want because small school guys make a killing jeremy chins ben barches kyle duggar like i mentioned earlier a lot of them are second third fourth round picks so we want to get as many of those players on too Absolutely, and it's definitely a great practice. So you mentioned with Kyle Duggar, uh, with him being drafted from Lenore Ryan. I remember a bunch of guys I was watching the draft with, they were, they were like, who? Who's this guy? Where do you go to school? And I was like, wait till you see the tape on this kid. He's absolutely a monster. And I, and I wasn't surprised at all that Bill Belichick had did his homework and, and, and picked him. Do you have a, a certain position or position group that you like to study their film or, or talk about more than others? Is there, is there a couple that stand out to you? It's one. It's one of those things where I I tend to obviously quarterback is one of those polarizing positions where it, you want you want to find your next guy. Like I was hammering Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones, top ten pick. The based on the film I watched, I was like, I don't know what people don't see. I think he's going to be a stud. So you get that aspect of things where I love finding my quarterback who I like, and you just fall in love with them, and every, year in and year out. Obviously, most people fell in love with Justin uh, Joe Burrow this year or Justin Herbert coming into the season. So year in and year out, quarterback position is always fun to watch. I like watching tackles, though, um, offensive tackles. It's not a fun position. Not a lot of many, not too many, I would say. Draft analysts love watching them. So you get to find guys who are under the radar who you like more. Because quarterbacks, most people are going to watch them to whatever degree it may be. Whether it be they're a fan of this Mac school. So then they're going to see the quarterback and if he can play or not. People aren't necessarily focusing on their offensive guard or offensive tackle on their favorite team. So casual fans won't see these tackles. And then it's they aren't necessarily the most fun position at times to watch, but there's nothing better than finding a guy who people have as a sixth, seventh round pick, and you're like, he he has third round talent. Some someone's gonna draft him high, and he's gonna be a stud in the league. So I like I love often. It's it's so hard to choose one position because I feel like I love all of them into a certain degree. It's obviously wide receivers are always a fun position to watch. The one position I would say I'm not a huge fan of, it's running back, just because of the fact that these guys, like, I watch them, and I I love most of them because most running backs end up being good. And that's the issue we have at the NFL level at this point is that running backs are a dime a dozen. If they're pretty – if they're good enough and you give them a really solid offensive line, they can do damage. So, like, there's certain guys who you watch them, you're like, this guy's going to be a stud. There's a lot of them. They tend to frizzle out after four or five seasons, and then they're never their their same self. So I, I would say running back would be, but it's not. It's nothing to do with the actual evaluation, but it's just it leaves a weird taste in my mouth. I'm like, oh, this guy's gonna be a stud, and he's gonna be out of football in six years. So it's just one of those things where I would say quarterback, tackle, receiver, specifically offensively, running back, tight end can get boring at times because they aren't necessarily featured. Um, definitely schools that run the ball a lot um with wide receivers that aren't utilized and it, it's sometimes frustrating you're like oh he's, he's wide open but you gotta run it every time so that sometimes uh can get frustrating with wide receivers that's awesome that's awesome well i'm glad i'm glad we're here we're here to talk about offense today and i think it's a perfect transition so if you've been following along with what we've been doing on the show here the last couple of weeks we've been releasing our top five pro- prospects for the 2021 draft. And it's a quarterback, running back, we've got wide receiver, tight end, and we just wrapped up offensive line. So as we wrap up offense, this is a perfect opportunity to kind of put a bow on it. And saw an opportunity to bring Jack on and, and talk a lot about some offensive players that are under the radar, sleepers if you'd call them. So Jack, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? What are some of your, your sleepers this year and this upcoming uh, class? Yeah, so I'll start with, quarterback because I I think this is a position group this year and I'll just tell you a little bit about my thoughts about it where I love Trevor Lawrence at the top I think he's I wouldn't say generational talent but over the past since I've started evaluating I think he's got the most potential and then you got Justin Fields Trey Lance people pick one or the other as their two and three and then there's a little bit of a drop off you have your Brock Purdy Tanner Morgan Jamie Newman Kyle Trask some kind of grouping there and I think so I evaluated about 
45 quarterbacks for this upcoming draft um, for 2021. Started because once you get done evaluating 2020, guys, it's like, all right, for my podcast specifically, I want to start on 2021 as soon as possible so I know who to get on. So I evaluated, I think, about 45 of them. And a guy that stood out to me, the first one I'll bring up, Chase Garbers out of Cal. And what I like about Chase Garbers and why I gave him, I currently have him as an early third round grade on my board. I think he's like quarterback six right now or six or seven um, behind Tanner Morgan, Brock Purdy are the two besides the um, top three that I like above him. I see a quarterback who has really good accuracy. I think that's what separates Garbers in terms of what I want in a quarterback. His arm strength as a whole isn't going to overly impress you. He's not this big 6'4", 6'5", quarterback. He doesn't throw 350 yards a game. What he does do, though, really mature, had him on the podcast. When you look at a quarterback and what they're able to do, he's a leader, he's a winner. As a starter last season, 7-0 and for the Cal Bears. I, I would rather prefer a winner when in doubt. He's 11-2 mm-hmm. and two as a starter as a whole. And when you watch the film, he makes tight window throws. He makes NFL throws on a consistent basis. I think people just haven't gotten to him yet. Redshirt Jr., he gets hurt a lot. That's going to be obviously something that is a question mark. But just in terms of what he's able to do throwing the football, I don't think there are too many quarterbacks who can do it better than he can and on a more consistent basis. So I watch two games of each guy don't when i evaluate players don't look at anything besides the spreadsheet i have of height weight school name year so i don't look at statistics beforehand what they won in terms of awards how their team did what games they look better in because i'm just going to put on two games against their two best opponents in my opinion and just evaluate them and with garbers i watched them against Ole miss and then i watched them against stanford And you can tell he's just a difference maker at the position. And the only reason why he isn't in there with that top grouping is the velocity. He's going to make a 15 to 20 yard throw accurately, but it's not going to be on a rope. He's not going to be able to use his arm to get him out of trouble. And we see that with certain quarterbacks. I think I usually bring up Josh Allen as the guy. He can use his arm to get him out of trouble at times, but the accuracy will never be there. So I don't think he'll reach his ceiling. I think Garber's... Perfect. He can run the ball decently well. Solid athlete for someone who's not going to run for 100 yards or be a Jamie Newman type runner. But I just think he checks all the boxes besides the overpowering arm. And to me, I'm fine with that in the modern NFL. If he can hit a 15-yard out route on the money on a consistent basis, I'll take that over a 70-yard deep pass to a gut double T and he's just chucking it up. Also makes good decisions with the football not never careless with it you can tell he's smart understands the game so he's that's why i have him as an early third my other quarterback who i have is somewhat i wouldn't say the exact opposite but i have davis mills out of stanford as a guy who i really like currently have him as a fifth round grade so it's not like he's someone who i'm overly hyped on but i think when you look at the potential and what he brings to the table so after doing my research on him, when after evaluating his few games that I watched, saw he's a top 20 recruit coming out. They were comfortable in replacing KJ Costello with him. I know Costello was a starter and played well, but I think he's got more upside. When I saw his big playability, the flashes he has on tape, I thought to myself, all right, more he's in this offense, the more comfortable he is. I think he'll continue to progress. He has the size. He just doesn't tend to make the best decisions with the football. You can tell he's young, but the potential is there for him to become one of the top signal callers. He could also go the other way, which is why I have him as a fifth-round grade right now and not like a third because I think we see this a lot just because you're ranked high and just because you have flash plays. If you can't do it on a consistent basis when given the reins as the quarterback – you could fall to undrafted. But I think he showed enough on film in terms of flashes that he has a chance to be a really special talent if it all clicks. Do do you think that if KJ Costello would have stayed, do you think Davis Mills could have beaten him out for the starting job? Or do you think it would have been a situation where maybe he would have had to transfer? I think he 100% would have beat him out. Um, I don't know in terms of... KJ Costello might have been a grad transfer uh, situation. But in terms of... If you just ask me, 
KJ Costello or Davis Mills at this point in their career, I'm taking Davis Mills 10 out of 10 times. And I love KJ Costello's um, tape from his t- going into this past season. I thought, you know, this guy has a chance to put himself in the conversation for the fourth quarterback behind Herbert to uh, in love at that point in time where I felt, you know what, what he can do is special. And then you realize, all right, what's this offense? What's the Stanford offense? It was jump balls to KJ Costello on a consistent basis. KJ leaves, and he just tried to force everything. He looked so bad on his 2019 film. I had to go back to his 2018 film to give him a draftable grade because his 2019 tape was – it wasn't draftable. It was just was really bad. He really tried pressing, forcing things, but their offense was awful. I'll be interested to see what he does with um, Mike Leach at Mississippi State this upcoming season. But as of now, I'm taking Mills and his potential over KJ Costello. Pardon the interruption while we bring you some awesome news from our exclusive partners. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back. <laughs> and so is the newest rivalry between Chase Elliott and Kyle Bush. And Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Blue Chew! Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? I don't know which guy isn't. Get to bluechew.com. BlueChew.com is the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. BlueChew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Awesome. I know there's probably there's going to be a lot of listeners who are here the Stanford Cal uh, talk and be like, man, this guy's going after, uh, he's going after the big rivalry, the, uh, the game. So it's pretty cool to see Stanford and Cal being talked about in the same sentence and kind of getting some love on the podcast. Uh, so what are some other players across the board that you think are some under-the-radar prospects? So a guy who I currently have as a late round one grade who, outside of me telling people over the past few days to go watch his film because when I watched him, I was so impressed. Frank Darby, Arizona State, fifth-year senior, six foot, one hundred ninety-two pound, wide out from New Jersey, and he is an absolute stud. He's better than Brandon Ayuk and Nikhil Harry, in my opinion. That's how good I think he is. I watched his game against USC in Oregon, and the flashes he had on film, his route running ability, maturity as a wide out. You can tell he was. So Lenore, the star cornerback for Oregon, and Javon Holland, there's one play. Lenore's up tight on him, press coverage. He beats him right away, then hits Holland with a little hitch, and Holland was essentially tumbling. Then um, Jaden Daniels throws a beautiful deep pass touchdown, and after that play, I'm like, holy smokes. I mean, this is like my 20-something wide receiver watch. He's on no one's board higher than like the 20th ranked senior wide receiver. And I gave him a first-round grade because I this kid can flat-out play. He is an absolute stud. I think he's better than the other two. You would never think, and it's just one of those things. You start to value and you get down the list of players. The first five are going to be awesome. You got Jalen Waddles, Jamar Chases. They're going to be so much fun to watch. And then after a while, you start to get the same type of players. All right, he doesn't have the speed. He doesn't have 
the production. So you're starting to watch, and it gets boring, and then you put this kid's tape on, and he just pops out on film. I mean, outside, so my current top five, I, I know you guys talked about this. Mm-hmm. My top five consists of Jamar Chase, Rashad Bateman, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, Rondell Moore. Mm-hmm. Right now, he's sixth. I have him ahead of Justin Ross. I have him ahead of Amon Ross St. Brown. I have him ahead of Terrace Marshall, Sage Surratt, Chris Olave. I think what he brings to the table is elite-level route running, and I think he catches well. I think he's got this little bit of acceleration that your defender will be on him. He'll be playing tight coverage, Mm -hmm. and then once the ball's thrown, he'll get this little bit of separation because he can just accelerate that much to create a, a sense of comfortability. Quarterback throws it up, and he just is off to the races. Granted, I happened to watch the two games where he produced the most, but they were against the best opponents. I think with more playing time next year as that focal point, he's going – because when I watched the Oregon film and the USC film, he was better than Ayuk. His playmaking ability, I know Ayuk is awesome, but I like Darby more. And the other wide receiver who I love is Reggie Roberson out of SMU. And interesting that a similar situation, you're watching Brandon Ayuk, you're watching James Prochet, and specifically with Prochet, like Darby didn't necessarily stand out or I wasn't truly paying attention. Roberson stood out, and I watched his film the other day against TCU Jeff Gladney, uh, who was a first-round pick for the Vikings, and then I watched him against Temple, who has a solid cornerback in Christian Braswell, and they got Harrison Hand and a few other guys mixed in there formidable defense because sometimes when you get the um, AAC you're not getting the best cornerbacks necessarily there's certain teams that have good ones but Roberson his ability his post route is one of the best things I have ever seen his acceleration different than Darby because Darby gets that little bit of acceleration this guy just flies he just he just if you don't play press coverage against him he, he's just gonna smoke you on a post route if your cornerback isn't four two speed that's just how good he is great hands he gave gladney fits yeah he was beating him and gladney had unbelievable tape i think his tape grade consensus was around the first round there was other factors that went into size wise why he might not have necessarily been a first round guy on everyone's board but his tape was awesome and roberson just flat out crushed him he he was destroying him, and then I believe against Temple he had 250 yards, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> he was that good. I he I have a high second-round grade on him as well. I think he's better. He's my seventh-ranked receiver right behind Darby. I think at times um, I noticed his, his hip movement, um, ability to turn his hips going outside was something a little bit of a concern of why I couldn't put him in the first round. You want a complete package. Like when you're getting Jamar Chase or Rashad Bateman, like I would say, they're the you're getting someone who the weaknesses aren't necessarily there. I think Roberson, it might have been a little bit of nitpicking, but there were times he doesn't always get open. But I mean, he can fly down the field. Great catch radius, back shoulder specialist, adjusts well, body control is great. I, I think he's going to be a stud. He's talked about way more than Darby. Darby's on no one's radars. Roberson's, I think, a considered a top 15 consensus senior wide receiver. But I think he's number two for me at this point, right behind Devonta Smith. SMU has such a fun offense to watch. That's Sonny Dykes-led team. I mean, with Shane Buscelli, Kyle Granson, you got Roberson, and, and last year they had Prochet. It's it's really fun to watch them play and put up a ton of points. And I really think that we're inter- we're entering kind of a receiver renaissance. Everybody talked about how deep the 2020 class was this year. And then you look at the 2021 class, and it seems just as deep, if not deeper. Exactly. I think when you look at it, so Jamar Chase is one of those receivers who I think people feel there is a chance he could end up falling just because he's not going to have Joe Burrow there. But the thing was, I mean, last year's Phil. He's an automatic, whatever Justin Jefferson went, he was he's going to go high. That's just what's going to happen. I believe was Justin Jefferson, was he 22, I think. So there's no way he can't go, he shouldn't go higher because his tape was 10 times better. Jefferson, I think, was more scheme dependent. Chase, I mean, he's so good. Rashad Bateman is my wide receiver too. I think he's just such a complete player. Jalen Waddell. I feel is better than Henry Ruggs, who was the first receiver taken. I think he's got more mat- potential. From what I've heard, he's got unbelievable maturity. And people say 
sub four three speed. I'm guess, assuming he's gonna run in the mid four threes. The only concern with him is I look. He's the same age as Devonta Smith. He's 21 and a half years old. It's one of those weird things where you think, of, oh, he's so young. He actually isn't. But as a receiver, you see the potential on Phil. Justin Ross, if he returns to 2018 form, and he would have been a stud wide receiver. And he has a chance. Amon Ross, St. Brown. And those are just like Rondell Moore. I He single-handedly beat Ohio State oh. in 2018. Sean Wade, who has a chance to be a first-round pick this year. Rondell Moore, I mean... He carried him, like essentially took that Purdue team on on his back and said, "Hey, I'm gonna have 200 receiving yards. I'm gonna carry this team to a victory." He was unbelievable, and that's just guys. Like there are certain players who um, I'll just say, like Olave, I think gets a little too much love. He's more of a mid round pick to me, and that what does he do that is special? And the thing that I like is he's got good acceleration on post routes, similar to that of a uh, Reggie Roberson. Granted, it's in the slot. Um, there are just areas where, all right, what does he do that wasn't scheme dependent? And like, I watched his Michigan game specifically, and he had one huge deep touchdown where Fields cranked up, threw it downfield. It was a busted coverage. He had another play. Cornerback wasn't ready at the line of scrimmage. But then again, a third-round pick is still a really solid player at this point. Surratt, I think, could be the biggest follower I've watched so far because of his lack of speed. Same with Tylen Wallace. But just as a whole, this receiver class – I think is a lot better. Like in terms of first round grades, I think it's going to, I mean, I've got six so far. Like, and I'm, I'm only like 15 to 20 what was senior wide receivers. And I forget the junior count I'm at right now. So there could be other guys who are first or second round picks who I haven't even seen yet. Yeah. It's definitely a, a good time to be needing a wide receiver uh, in the NFL for in 2021. So definitely a lot to choose from. Well, obviously quarterbacks, you know, running backs, receivers are kind of the, the sexier prospects to talk about it, when it you know kind of switching gears into some non-sexier prospects tight ends offensive tackles we talked about that earlier the grinders the big guys what are some what are some of the guys from those positions that you think are under the radar so for tight end i think it this year's class is 10 times last year's class i said i'm not i wouldn't take a tight end until the third round that's how bad of a group it was i was contemplating just convert chase claypool to tight end so we can have at least a second round guy there so this tight end class last year was awful coming in next year there's a lot of really talented players at the top i think a guy who i really like who josh peterson from louisiana monroe last name sounds familiar doug peterson son. interesting thing about him he didn't start playing football until his junior year of high school he was a golfer you would think Dad played football at the highest levels, now an NFL coach that since he was two years old, he'd have a football in his hands. He didn't. He was a really good golfer. He thought he'd play college golf. And then what happened was he, I mean, at his size, was he 6'4", 6'5", people like, in a sense, were like, all right, he switched schools. You have to play on the football team. Like, how, how could you not? And he tries out plays. And that's why he's at Louisiana Monroe, hasn't played all that often. Comes in last year, super productive, almost at double-digit touchdowns. So he's a guy who, you watch his film, he's not that good of a blocker yet. And that's just what's going to happen when you're not really mature as a receiver and you're more on the skinnier side. But what he was able to do, who he is as a person off the field, he's going to be a successful guy at the next level. I haven't fully evaluated the entire tight end class to put stamp him with a third, fourth round grade, but I think that's kind of where he's in that range, in my opinion, and he hasn't been talked enough. So I, I think he's a guy who I really loved at the tight end position outside of that top group, who I think bloodlines are there. He hasn't reached his full potential because he hasn't played all that often. He's going to figure things out. He's a really smart kid. He's someone who I love for the upcoming draft. Yeah, and the best part about having a, a coach's son on the team is, uh, you know, especially since he relatively started playing football late, is he already understands the X's and O's side. You know, that's what he grew up in. So from a from a being able to catch up perspective, I think if you have, like I said, a coach's son, it's easier for them to catch up. They just gotta they just gotta start matching the physicality with their with their smarts, with their understanding of the game. When when you're evaluating the tight end position, what are some of the traits you're looking for? at the next to, to translate to the next level i think the first thing i like to look at can he block i think that's one of those things where you don't you any tight end 
any offense in college football for the most part i know teams are starting to get more towards these air raid type offenses but can he block and i think we look at the top like pat fryermuth's a guy who i think is one of the best blocking tight ends i've seen in a while for his ability to catch the ball so first thing can he block I think something that I like to look for is his, can he separate as a tight end? Guys who can separate, because when they're going up against linebackers at the next level who are much better than these college three down thumpers, or two down you could say for the next level, you're able to beat them. But how much separation can they create? Hands is obviously an important aspect of things. But I look for how does he run his route? Can he block? Can he separate all similar to wide, the wide receiver position? Because now they're becoming at the next level more of a glorified wideout, and then you have. So I look at a lot of the same aspects that I do for receiver, but I put a much bigger emphasis on can they block than a wide receiver, obviously because of the importance of blocking as a tight end. But it's not something where I look for a certain thing in particular for that position. It's just one of those where you're not going to get the same reps or the same um, shares in particular in comparison to a wide receiver because tight ends aren't going to be featured like that. But like certain guys, how what does their usage look like in the red zone? That's another thing that I think is important because you want a guy who can score touchdowns. I think for the tight end position, that's always good if you can throw a guy a jump ball in the red zone or create mismatches because if, if they're a threat in the red zone, it frees up other things. It allows you to do a lot more in the offense. So I think Peterson... He fits a lot of those boxes. He's not at he's not as mature of a route runner or a blocker yet, but he's going to get there because of the potential he has. And there, there's no way Doug Peterson's going to have a kid who's not elite level <laughs> tight end. I mean, the way he's been able to use them in the past, I'm yeah. sure he can throw the ball too. He'll be used on one of those Philly special plays at some point <laughs> in his career. No, he, Peterson's the guy for me there. That's awesome. So as we kind of start winding down the show. I think we, we saved the best for last. You, you kind of mentioned it earlier, offensive line is some of the best film and most fun you have uh, evaluating, a position you evaluate. So, and I, and I agree with that. I think there's, there's just something fun about putting on film of an offensive lineman, whether it be a center, guard, or tackle, and just seeing them absolutely annihilate a defensive lineman or pancake an edge rusher. I, I love it. So with that being said, what are some of the offensive linemen you have as under the radar this year? Yeah, so I specifically um, brought up three when I they stood out to me. I think there, there's a lot of guys who I could mention who are under the radar. I think a tackle is a position you actually have to evaluate um, when looking at things because they're going to be seen less draft sites, I think, not to the fault of their own, but the idea of how are you going to watch 45 senior offensive tackles it's just one of the things for wide receiver or a running back you can look at production and it can tell you all right this guy he wasn't able pr- to produce but a starting there's no stats for offensive tackles there's no i know pff has certain things in a grading system where you can look at what they say but they don't reveal every single tackle in the country so you're not going to see how many sacks necessarily a guy gave up and that's not always indicative of who they are as a player so when evaluating <laughs> offensive tackles i think so like a big example, one that I've brought up a lot over this process over the past two years, because Alex Leatherwood's a guy who I think PFF said gave up zero sacks. And I watched his film, and I don't know who they have like taking this, uh, unless they say Tua, it was on him for the sack. He got smoked by Marlon Davidson. And every single play that Kaylevon Chason went up against him, he destroyed him. And I, like you go in. Alabama tackle, projected top 15 pick. He's going to be a stud. And for me personally, when I really went in-depth and watched his film, I wasn't a fan. I think the same could be said about Thayer Munford. Was Went in having high expectations. They were the first two tackles I watched. And I was like, this is the tackle class? There are two guys who I was a little bit more concerned about. And most people are on board with Alex Leatherwood as a first-round pick. And I understand my evaluation may be different, and I could be wrong because the consensus has him as a round one guy. But I think there's that happens a lot with tackles. Same with Walker Little. To me, he's just more traits at this point because his 2018 film before the ACL injury in 2019 was really bad. So you're going to get a lot of that, a lot of interesting tackles. So I think you have to truly pay attention when watching tackles and who is good and who is not. And the first guy I want to bring up, Landon Young from Kentucky is a tackle. So high four-star recruit coming out of high school. 
from Lexington, just wanted to stay in Kentucky, had out offers or interest from every top-tier team. So we, it created a situation where he could have gone anywhere. He chose Kentucky. And for those who don't know, they have, in my opinion, a top-five offensive line in the country, if not the best. With him, they got Drake Jackson, Luke Fortner, and you got Darian Kennard on the right side, who's going to be a, a really solid player for 22, probably, because he's only a junior. But Landon Young... High recruit, really talented, tears his ACL. That's my biggest concern as a junior, has to redshirt. So then comes back as a redshirt junior last season. So what was interesting about his tape is that at Kentucky, they had the quarterback injury. So they ended up starting Lynn Bowden. I don't know how many games into the season, but I knew I had to get a game of his or watch a few of them in the beginning of the season because after a while, because I watched his game, I believe, against Tennessee. And Lynn Bowden's the quarterback. And it's not a traditional offense. You're not seeing him and his pass sets. It's more running game, trick plays, ideas to try and get the offense moving without a traditional quarterback. So I watched his game against Florida specifically was the one that I took home that he has really, really good footwork. He has really good power. You see that 320-pound frame on film so what i saw grenard who was a really productive edge rusher did nothing against him same when zuniga went up against him i have him as a mid-second round grade right now with a chance to rise to become a late round one guy because as it stands right now my two guys who i have as first round picks are pina sowell or pina i i never know which one it is (laughs) i have him as a top five guy he's a him in fields uh him and lawrence sorry right now are my top guys I've got Sam Cosme as a mid-round one. And after that, there's a huge jump. And in my opinion, he has put himself in position to ascend a lot of these guys who are considered ranked decently high. Just based on, you say, oh, he plays at Kentucky. He's still going up against the same SEC players that Alex Leatherwood and some of these other top players are going up against. And the idea is he didn't give up rarely any pressures on the film. I watch and it's the same edge rushers as these other players are going up against. Mm-hmm. So he's a guy who I love. I love their offensive line. I think what Coach Stoops has going there at Kentucky, they're moving in the right direction as a program, and he's just one of the main reasons why. The second guy I bring up is Tommy Doyle out of Miami of Ohio. He is by far, in my opinion, the best Mac player coming in for next season That after Jack Heflin... That's more defense, but he transferred to Iowa. He's by far the best guy. I believe he's 6'8", has a hockey background, and when he went up against A.J. Epineza, it was a dogfight. Like, they, most guys... So when watching tackle, I try my best. At times, I have to avoid watching them against Ohio State or Iowa because it seemed to me, even the best tackles, you get smoked every time you go up against Chase Young. If they win one ref against Chase Young for an entire game, I consider that a win. The fact, the fact that that guy, and people talked about towards the end of the season that his production went down. The fact that that guy didn't get a sack when it literally seemed like he got a pressure on every play or they had seven guys blocking him and then they went in the opposite direction of the play. Everything was to go and avoid Chase Young. And I don't want to watch that when watch evaluating an offensive tackle because you're changing your entire game plan for one player. So you're not going to get true one. But like a Penn State is something. I love watching against a Shaka Tony or a Gross Matos. So guys like that, the really solid edge rushers. But same with Iowa. I felt like Epinesa just dominated players on film. Obviously, production wasn't there necessarily the majority of the time. I think he was a better run defender, but he moved guys. He threw guys around. And his, t- his um, testing numbers were really bad. So I think that's what drops him. But he's going to be a solid player in the NFL. Tommy Doyle, though, at Miami of Ohio. I thought it was perfect. I was like, oh, I get Iowa tape and I get Ohio State tape. And, of course, he didn't play in the Ohio State game. So I didn't get to watch him there. Even though I hate watching these guys against top-tier players, it's the only film I had. Iowa against Epineza, he he handled his own. He looked really good. I think he has a chance to be a day-two pick. The issue, though, didn't have any other film on the uh, Miami of Ohio team that I felt uncomfortable watching in comparison to some of these other tackles because you're going to dominate some of these edge rushers who what you see with the Mac nowadays is why they're at that level of football. You get some really talented collegiate guys, but you get edge rushers who are 6'4", 230, who are going to have to move off ball. And if you're at his size, I don't know how he ended up there, but if you're at his size, 
you can just dominate guys who are of really small frames who just can't play that type of edge rusher at the next level. So at the MAC, I try and avoid watching them against their own talent because you're just not getting that power. You're getting more speed, guys. But if you're just getting overpowered on every play, it's just not going to work. But I think based on what I saw against Epineza, I think he's firmly in that day two conversation with a chance to be a second round pick. That's how good I think his film is. And I think the scouting community is starting to realize and recognize that he's he's a lot better than people think. And he's by far the best prospect in the MAC. And then if we want to get even lower than the MAC, we can get to the FCS level. And the one guy who I think is a player who I first noticed him, Phil Steele came out with his FCS All-American team. And he was a on every single first team as a junior, and he won Offensive Lineman of the Year. So I thought, all right, kid, if you're an underclassman last year, I haven't heard of you, but you play at North Dakota State. So Dylan Radens is the guy. North Dakota State, starting left tackle over the past few seasons. What makes separates him is he has the, some of the most dominant film I have ever seen from an offensive tackle. Not that he just pancakes guys in every place and chucks them around because he's 7 feet, 400 pounds, which is if you get that at the FCS level, you're just chucking guys around. But he's got perfect size. I think he's about 6'6", 300, 305 at this point in time. I talked to him on the, show, on, on the podcast, really mature. And that's a thing that I emphasize a lot. Once you are mature, have a deep conversation where you can talk about different things that's something that i will then all right he already has checked that box if his film backs it up and i see potential all right he's shooting out my draft card because there's guys who i'll talk to who it takes them a really long time to get on the phone with coordinating their bag then they give a few word answers their demeanor isn't great and then you put on the film and it's not great well i'm not going to think he has a lot of potential because i already see who he is as a person i don't see that growth I see Dylan Raiden. He's got length, and he just stonewalls guys. It's one of those things where he'll just get out of his pass pro set, and he'll just have his hands out, and, and no one goes anywhere. He, I don't think he even get like I don't know if there's anything like below a hurry or a pressure, but like he didn't give anything. Like the guys, I guess you could say, guys didn't get past him at all, like in any way. Even if it was the play was designed to let the defender. Like, go past him so he, he can go and get to the second level to help on a screen. He still just pushed him around and they didn't get anywhere. So Dylan Radins, uh, Jim Nagy tweeted about him the other day, potential top 100 pick. I totally agree. I've had him as a third rounder for a while now. He's one of those players who I think it's going to be tough because the competition. He'll be a senior bowl player, though, so I think that will help him go up against these edge rushers. I think we saw that with Ben Barch. Film was dominant. What can he do at the senior bowl? And Bartsch was really good there. The issue was arm length. Raiden's has the arm length. He has everything you want in a future NFL tackle. The only issue why he's not considered a first or second at this point in time is North Dakota State, though they're going to be one of the best teams at the FCS level on a consistent basis and should, I mean, this should be the most dominant season we ever seen from a FCS school because you got Trey Lance, Christian Watson's their wide receiver. He's a stud. And then you got Raiden's at tackle. You got the trio. You got the elite receiver, elite quarterback, and elite tackle, all three of which are going to be drafted. And Raiden's and Lance could be day one, day two guys at that level. They should dominate. If you want to watch a game of of Raiden's, don't watch this film yet because I think you could say based on this, he's a top 100 guy. I totally agree with Nagy. Wait till... And hopefully we get to see it. Who knows? Oregon gets yes. to play North Dakota State week one yes. of next season. He gets to go up against Kavon Thibodeau, who's going to be a top five pick in the 2022 draft. That defense of Oregon has a plethora of future top talent. Kavon, that's going to be his biggest test he's ever going to face. And it's one of those things where if he does horrible, he's going to tank. And you realize, all right, this was just him dominating bad players. If he holds his own and plays well, we could be talking about a first-round pick. That's how good the traits are at this point. It's can he produce against these other top-tier pass rushers, which is why I think week one of the season, I, I, this is going to be a great test for him. Don't watch it for uh, Lance because he's like if he doesn't do well, nobody cares. Like Jordan Love. I gave a first-round grade of him for him going into the season. Everyone's like, all right, 
watch him against LSU. That's going to be his big game. And I was just like, no, because he's yeah, just, no there's no way he does well. No one's going to be open. It's just going to be awful. He's going to be under pressure on every play. He's going to try and do too much. It's just going to be awful. And no one seems to care about it because he's still, I mean, the Packers with Aaron Rodgers still traded up in round one to take him. And I think Lance has a better supporting cast than Jordan Love did. Granted, but just kind of if he doesn't play well, it's not indicative of necessarily his talent, sure. but more the talent around him. Raiden's, on the other hand, it's a one-on-one situation. It's you against the other guy. Can you win? So I think yep. that's what you got to be aware of. That's a that's a great point. And, and I was just talking to our co-host, Brandon Pastel, earlier today about my favorite out-of-conference game that's on the schedule this year is Oregon-North Dakota State. Because from a prospect's perspective, like there's so much on the line. With, with with evaluating FCS talent against higher FBS talent. So I really hope that game goes on. I, 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 it's the, probably one of the biggest out-of-conference games I'm looking forward to. And, man, I think I speak for behalf of all our listeners just saying thanks to Jack for coming on today. And I wish this segment could be three hours because I could, I could listen to you break down prospects all day. Truly one of the best in the biz. And I want our listeners to – Remember where they were if they haven't heard if they haven't heard Jack break down players yet. Remember where you're listening to it right now because in a couple of years he's going to be on a big network, ESPN, CBS, NFL Network, you name it. He's he's got an arrow pointed straight there. Just absolute tremendous, Jack. Why don't you let our listeners know where they can listen to the show at and, and where they can find you guys on social media? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And for yeah, if you want to follow us on, on Twitter, mostly for. If you want the end of this type of content where it's, all right, I think Reggie Roberson's a day two pick, and then I'll put up clips, all 22 film of what I see in his game, more breakdown stuff. Follow my personal account at the gridiron underscore NFL. I'll keep you updated throughout college football season, just at this point in time, pre-draft evaluations, that type of stuff. If you want to learn more about the podcast on Instagram and Twitter, Inside the NFL Prospects, each day we release about one or two episodes that you can listen to, and then you can follow our podcast, Inside the NFL Prospects, on Apple Podcasts. Just look it up. It should be the first one that comes up. And any show, if you have any suggestions about guys who you think are good or want us to look at, we're ha- we look at everyone. There's not one player who we will deny until we watch the film or have asked scouts and people of that nature about how they are as a talent. So we love everyone. Just DM us inside the NFL prospects on Twitter or Instagram. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, make sure you guys go follow them, follow the show. It's one of the best podcasts you're going to listen to, both shows. And and again, this kind of came up, how, how we kind of got in touch with each other. I reached out and asked Jack a question on Instagram, and one that he was under no – obligation to answer it was a show question kind of behind the scenes question he answered and we just kind of got the dialogue in and and one thing led to another now he's on the show and i can safely say on behalf of my other host brandon glesson and brandon pastel we'd love to get you got to get you on the show again for sure like this isn't going to be a one-off we definitely would like to have you back on so you have a, an invite anytime you want to come on uh you're more than welcome and, and again we appreciate it jack thanks for coming on today yeah, no, thanks. I was I talked to you about it before the show. It's always a lot of fun because I'm talking to these podcast uh, prospects, asking them questions. So then to be able to kind of let everything out that I, like you can't say because Twitter only does so much. So it was a lot of fun. Had a blast coming on. I appreciate it again for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Jack. Hey, football fans. This is Kenny from Prospects 101, brought to you by Blue Wire Pods. Listen to us weekly on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Hit the subscribe button and make sure to leave us a five-star review today.